NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me, as usual, are our panellists, Nathan, Jake, and Ash. If you haven't already, make sure you head over to Instagram and follow Mojo Sports AFL on Instagram to get every update from the Mojo Sports AFL show. And boys, we have a really exciting announcement for the network. And because we've been doing such a good job, uh, we're actually getting two episodes of the Mojo Sports AFL show on the network, which is fantastic. Now, uh, the way that's going to work is we'll still have our Tuesday night show with the four regulars pa- panelists that you listen to every week. Uh, but the NBA guys who are doing a separate show, uh, they're going to lead a Thursday night show, which will be fantastic. So you may hear us on Tuesdays and Thursdays now and make sure that you listen to the Mojo Sports AFL uh, podcast on your traditional platforms. Boys, uh, no hot topics really this week due to the fact that we have no players at the AFL uh, Tribunal. So we might talk about a few other topics tonight. We'll review your weekend of footy, talk about fantasy. And something that we're going to do on our Thursday shows now is our Thursday shows are going to be a look forward to the weekend's games. But we'll still throw our thoughts um, here and there about some games that we're really looking forward to. Nate. Uh, G'day, mate. How are you? And uh, what did you like from the weekend? Very well. Uh, again, uh, back on the winners list as a Crow supporter, so very happy we can talk about that later. And uh, probably good to see uh, two teams, Richmond and Fremantle, sort of kickstart or, you know, revitalise their season. So it makes the, uh, the race for the top eight a little bit more exciting, I think. Absolutely, it does. The more teams that we have vying for the eight towards the end of the year, the more interesting it comes. Hopefully we'll have a... A similar sort of situation with uh, round 23 last year where we had, you know, all results kind of possible on those last day, on the last day with uh, three or four teams trying to vie for that spot in the eight. Jake, how are you, mate? Uh, oh, you're man, not I'm feeling a... oh. uh, too sad after the Bombers on the weekend? Yeah, well, um, I was a bit disappointed. Uh, I actually watched the Carlton game instead. I thought that would be a better finish, but... Um, no, nah, good, good, you know, good round of footy. I'm getting really excited uh, with the top four. Uh, you know, the team that finishes fourth this year, I think it's going to come down to the last remaining round. So uh, good round of footy. Absolutely. And Ash, how are you, mate? Am I expecting another Carlton rant this evening? Because I've heard from the boys in the studio that it's our top-rated segment on the Mojo Sports AFL show. <laughs> oh, I'm flattered to hear that. <laughs> Uh, who knows? We might whip up a, a quick rant. We'll see how we go. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Carlton, who I follow, water polo now. That's my sport of choice. So um, not 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 Carlton. But we'll see. We, we're quite a few um big margins this week. A lot of 10, 12 goal wins. So sort of a bit of a change up compared to sort of a few weeks in the past. We've had a lot of close games. I think it was more sort of a few large margins. So yeah. Absolutely. And let's throw it back to Friday night. And I think probably the upset of the round was the Tigers, you know, getting over the Cats. And um, it was really uh, evident in that first quarter when Richmond just sort of burst out of the gates, you know, getting back to that surge footy mentality that they've been famous for under Dimmer Hardwick. And uh, the Cats, you know, 
brought it back to within about 10 points in the second quarter. And then, you know, Richmond just kicked away a little bit. And uh, I tell you one player who I'm really liking, and I think a real smoky for the all Australian team is Daniel Rioli. Um, I think he's firmly in the conversation for one of the best uh, halfbacks in the, mm. in the competition. And um, they were just showing a passage of, of play on first crack on Sunday night and how he's the link man for Richmond. He's getting, you know, three, sometimes four consecutive possessions um, and working the ball all the way up the field. And he's getting some score assists and he actually got on the scoreboard as well. So we can see how damaging some of the halfbacks are. Um, Nathan, I'll throw it to you, mate. What are your thoughts on, you know, Daniel Rioli is a halfback and who do you think the best, you know, three or four halfbacks in the game are? Yeah, look, I think Daniel Rioli has been that player that where we've waited and waited for this. You know, he's flipped and flopped whether he's a forward, you know, they tried him in the and now he's sort of found his home, I guess, in the back line. And him and someone like a Liam Baker and now having David Short back in that Richmond lineup is quite a formidable sort of running, um, you know, half-back line. You sort of spoke about, you know, the game plan that Damien Hardwick has tried to sort of implement over the years with Richmond. And having those three players um, there and prominent as sort of a real strong suit for Richmond going forward. And, you know, you almost liken it, maybe not to the same extent, but someone like Adam Saad, um, you know, really known for his run and ball use off um, of half-back and not just his, his ability to get the ball and give well, but then his ability to then run off and receive that hand pass or receive that next kick in space and, and end up almost being the player that's kicked it out um, out of the defensive 50, but then also the player that's kicked inside to attacking 50 as well. Um, almost something like what we've seen Nick Dacos do as well, where he'll link it up with the midfield and then continue to push forward as well. So I think what Daniel Rioli is doing is definitely, you know, something that, you know, teams need to look out for because the amount of time that he's, you know, effectively using the ball and damaging midfields and, and almost eliminating the, the good players from the other team at times is, is, is um, something to, to, to really watch out for, I think, going forward um, for teams playing against Richmond. But, you know, look, it's interesting. Richmond's turned it around, but, you know, is it sustainable? I guess that's the biggest question. Yeah, we talked about Fremantle and Richmond um, at the top of the show saying that they were able to get some really vital wins on the weekend. And um, at the moment, you know, Richmond's a game and a half outside the eight and Fremantle's a game outside the eight and a bit of percentage as well. So, um, you know, those teams are going to need to string consecutive wins together and and cause a few upsets. And particularly for Fremantle, they're going to be able – well, they're going to need to be able to win on the road, uh, which is something that they really struggled to do uh, last year. And they uh, held down the, the fortress at Optus Stadium quite well, um, which we haven't seen this year. But hopefully for Fremantle fans, uh, that's something positive that we can talk about for once. Um, Jake, I'll throw it to you next. Uh, you know, you watched the, the Bombers on you know, yeah. Saturday, Saturday night and, um, you know, your former uh, club great in Joe Danaher really put a masterclass. But um, how, like, it's obviously good to talk about Joe when he does well, but at the same time, how undermanned 
is the Essendon back line. You know, Zerk yeah. Batcher um, is a young player, you know, and he's going to be a great player for Essendon, no doubt about it. But he's still young. He's still quite skinny. He still needs to put on a bit of size. But um, are there any other solutions that Essendon could possibly look at? Because I saw them playing Andrew Phillips as a key defender at one yeah. point because they just simply had no one to go with um, with Joe. Well, I think at the end of the day, we lost that game because we couldn't, you know, kick goals, unfortunately. Uh, but the the back line is, you know, Ridley, um, and he's out injured, obviously. Uh, Laverde, he's out injured. But that's what Matthew Lloyd was talking about. Do we leave Parrish and go after a centre-half back? Uh, I'm not sure, uh, but I think it would help a lot because, unfortunately, uh, their tools uh, destroyed us on the weekend because when you have Phillips going down back, you've got McInerney to then worry about on the wing. And, yeah, it was uh, really uh, – it was a high, I could go on and on. It was a terrible loss. Uh, the forwards, we were bombing it in, and Stasevich, Sharp, McKenna, they would just spread the ball out. And I think McGrath did a pretty good job on Charlie Cameron. Uh, he limited him to only nine disposals, and he didn't end up kicking a goal. So I thought that was – Probably my, uh, you know, good shining light uh, from that game from an Essendon standpoint. Uh, Ash, how did you see the weekend and uh, how did you see your Blues? I think it's time for Ash's Carlton rant. Can, oh, he, hold him to, can he hold it together this week? I, I, I might leave the rant to when we sort of talk about the, the negatives. I want, I want to keep it positive for now. Um, oh, all right, all right. <laughs> and, and it hurts me to say that, but I, I thought Collingwood were, were really impressive on the weekend, albeit against the Giants, who, you know, might finish bottom four, definitely bottom six. But I thought some of their work uh, with their sort of connection between the lines of, of the theory and their if, um, ability to sort of lower the eyes and find targets inside 50 was some of the best I've seen all year. I think they went at over 60% efficiency. So they had, I think, 32 shots from 51 inside 50s, which is just crazy numbers. Um, but one player in particular who sort of really surprised me, Mason Cox, coming back from injury, has potentially one of the better games of his career, maybe excluding the famous 2020 uh, or, should I say, 2018 um, prelim against the Tigers, which certainly stopped their four-peat potentially. But... um. You know, it, it was just his versatility, Cox, which we, which we saw, and it was such a well-rounded performance. You know, he was influential at stoppages, both, you know, with his hit-outs and clearances, but also around the ground. He was very, very strong. He was tackling. He was kicking goals. He was getting big contested marks. Um, I think he had a, a really great one running back with the fly in the third quarter. So sort of caught me a bit by surprise by sort of how well-rounded of a performance it is. And certainly he's, you know, he was against Matt Flynn, who's, sort of not an A grader, but it was a very good performance and probably one of the better ones in his career. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, with, with Collingwood, they're, they're just really scary. They're a scary proposition for any team at the moment because that, you know, resilience, belief, running power in the last quarters, as, as we've seen in, you know, the last 18 months. And, you know, they've still got some players on, on the injury list. And, the thing is, because as we talked a little bit about with St Kilda, um, because Collingwood have been able to get all these early wins in the year, it allows them so much more flexibility come the pointy end of the year when it comes to slowly 
reintroducing, you know, some of these players. And, you know, we talk about Darcy Cameron and, you know, the flow on effect from someone like Darcy Cameron coming back into that team uh, is going to be massive because it's going to allow Cox to go forward. Eventually, McStay is going to come back. Um, you know, it's going to allow my check to, you know, potentially not get the number one defender. He might get the number two. So it just opens up so many more avenues from Collingwood. You know, we talk about Jeremy Howe, who hasn't been seen since round one. And um, it's a lot to like for Collingwood. And um, I feel like they're going to have to do a lot wrong not to be there, at least in preliminary Mm. final weekend and really drop the ball. But uh, I love what Craig McRae is doing with them. And uh, I'll talk about two teams that I thought did really well. And one's going to annoy Ash because I thought the dogs were, were solid on Saturday night when that game was up for grabs. They, they came, they really came to play in that last quarter. And Tom Libertore was, um, you know, back to his brilliant best as a clearance beast. And uh, Artie Jones, I thought he was, uh, you know, a nice little life wife, the Western Bulldogs in the fourth half. And um, we've seen the Bulldogs play quite tall um, in their forward line, but, you know, having Jones and then Cody Waitman as well, you know, just gives them a few more avenues to go rather than, you know, putting it on Norton's head, which they did for a fair majority of last year. And uh, for me, my beloved Port Adelaide uh, had a 70 point win against, um, against a developing kangaroo side. Let's go, go with that. And uh, I know that some people have been really critical of North Melbourne uh, in the media, Kane Corns being one of them. But, um, you know, for Port Adelaide, we always, from my experience and my point of view, we've always tended to win games ugly. And like the Bombers game a couple of weeks ago was a pretty good example where Port should have really put that game away with the amount mm. of scoring opportunities they had. And I thought Essendon were actually the better side. But, you know, it's good that they're getting the wins in those types of situations but it was really good for them when they got a sniff to really bury North Melbourne they did it and um, a lot there's been a lot of talk about Miles Bergman I thought he was fantastic off halfback Um, you know whether he stays at Port Adelaide next year is uh, to to be determined and I certainly hope he stays and he was a a nice uh, nice fella that I got to to work with while I was at the club for a short period of time and, and a ripping fella. So I know that his teammates love him and uh, would like him to, to stick around. And now that he's found that sort of, uh, you know, sweeping defender role across half back, um, I can see why he's a very attractive proposition for some of the clubs in Melbourne. So uh, his name was thrown up last year with the uh, Jason Hall and Francis trade, but um, He's someone that will be of interest to a fair few of the Victorian clubs. Uh, And Zach Butters does it again. Uh, I I think a few weeks ago I said that he should be the next captain of Port Adelaide. And, you know, he, since round four, he's been the number four ranked player in the the competition. So, you know, him and Connor Rosie are firmly in all Australian uh, considerations for mine. But um, I generally don't have anything too negative from the weekend, I could be a little bit critical of West Coast, but um, I feel like I'll just be going around in circles based on, you know, some of the things that I've already talked about. But, Jake, I'll throw it to you, mate. Uh, what do you think was slightly concerning from the weekend? Um, and uh, there are any teams that 
uh, you are really worried about? Um, I think St Kilda might just be one of them. Uh, I know they played Adelaide, um, you know, in Adelaide, which can be a bit of a hostile crowd sometimes. Uh, you know, when they get up and go on, they're pretty hard to stop with their uh, scoring this year. But I think the the stat that I'm not a fan of is their ability to not kick goals. And I think they would have loved to have a king out there on the weekend. Uh, they've had four games this year with 80 points, and they've won all those games scoring above 80 points. But other than that, they've had five games that they've scored under 80, and in those games they're 3-2 and two with an average of 68 points. Um, and they've had a lot of games where they've even struggled to score over 70. So I think that might be a bit of a concern, but lucky for them, they did bank those early wins, as you said, um, and there is some time to grow. But um, I might also just say the Demons. Uh, not Not a concern, but... A bit lazy, I thought. I thought it could have been a little bit more of a win. And I thought, you know, Stephen May kind of said it best. Uh, They were playing down a little bit to Hawthorne on the weekend. And they had a lot of early intercept possessions uh, that they didn't quite convert uh, to what I thought they could. But I think the main concern now is, you know, who comes in for Petty? I think there's they've got a few options. Does Brown come back in? Um, So what happens there? Um, Those are my, you know, main concerns. And Nathan, uh, are there any teams from the weekend that you're like, not not the greatest weekend for you, mate? Um, Yeah, probably two for me. One I flagged last week being Sydney. Um, You know, probably an unexpected loss for them on um, on Saturday. Frio is probably tracking just as you know on par with how Sydney were, and to go over to Sydney and win that's no mean feat. Um, obviously, you know, they've been ravaged by injuries. Both the McCartans and Rampy are out in that back line, and that's a big loss for Sydney. Um, but, you know, they're starting to show signs of age up forward as well. Buddy's not playing to the standard that you know he has for so many years. Um, and then Papley and Heaney coming off the back of all Australian, you know, nods in the last couple of years are probably not playing up to the standards expected of them, um, but also to sort of get Sydney where they are. Obviously, their midfield's humming, you know, Luke Parker and... Gordon and, and Tad Warner and the like in the midfield. But, you know, when at either end of the ground where it counts with kicking goals and defending goals, they're really struggling. And, you know, the, the, the three notes that I've written about Sydney is I think their season's over. Um, I don't think they play finals, unfortunately, which is really unfortunate considering the big steps they put forward last year. Um, I think we're now into, um, unfortunately, Lance Franklin farewell tour. Um, I don't see a scenario where he plays on, unfortunately. I think Father Time's caught up with him. Um, you know, despite him being, you know, a walk-up legend, um, you know, one day of the AFL, I think this will be his last season. And, you know, I really encourage everyone to really appreciate having more games he's got because I don't think we're going to see a talent like him for a long, long time. Um, and I think the last one on Sydney is enjoy the Golden Show. I think, you know, now he's going to be given licence just to go nuts um, and really sort of show his dominance a bit more above the team um, structures potentially. We've already seen that in back-to-back weeks. Um, so, yeah, I think Sydney's a lost cause. And the next team I'll talk about, I think we can nicely transition into uh, Ash talking about, but it's got to be Carlton. Um, and I'm not going to rag on, you know, their performances. I'll let Ash do that a little bit. But the two things that I've got written down is, you know, is Carlton the Harlem Globetrotters of the AFL? And what I mean by that is they've got a list, you know, a really, really nice list. They've got all the talent. You know, um, whiz, bang, backline, midfield, you know, all the names up forward, big contracts. Um, but they're all show. Um, you know, 
and when it counts, they're sort of not really getting it done. And um, it's kind of concerning that, you know, financially they're sort of, you know, in a bit of a spot with the amount of money that paid a lot of, paid a lot of the players on their list. And, you know, I think the other one is um, it's got to be Harry Mackay. Um, you know, he's tied up at that football club for a very, very long time and a lot of money. Um, and as a former Coleman medalist, um, he's now kicked more points than behinds. Um, and I think he's also had about a dozen scoring opportunities that he's completely missed as well, out of bounds on the ball or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I think there's two options for him. He's either got to go away and fix these demons or internally they've got to try and figure out a solution is maybe, you know, he's repurposed as a, a high half forward where he's not relying on kicking goals, but instead kicking it to Kerno and giving Kerno some more space, um, I guess, to to operate because at times they're sort of running in each other's ways. But, you know, look, they're a concern and, you know, I'm more than happy to have a hand pass to actually go into his little Calden segment. But, you know, as a team that's been deprived of finals and success for so long, um, you know, they need to play finals this year um, for the, you know, the fabric of that club and the supporters. And, you know, it's just unfortunate to see such a talented list not live up to expectation. Absolutely. And before Ash does get into his weekly Carlton rant, as we like to call it, um, Nathan, I just want to ask you a hypothetical. If Carlton do not make finals this year and do you think that Voss is in danger of losing his job or do you think just because they've had so much turnover in their coaching staff over the last decade, you gotta you got to stick with him and hope that he couldn't work it out? Because we've seen what Carlton can do at their best and we saw that in the first 11 games last year and it's tapered off since then, but... You know, this team is for the now pretty well. And the salary cap, we've talked about Tom DeConing in recent time as well. You know, half their salary cap would be chewed up by eight to ten players. That's probably being generous. It's probably closer to seven. But, you know, we've got all these guys on long-term deals, but is Voss in trouble if they don't make it? No, I, I don't think he is. I think what needs to happen is I think Michael Voss needs to inject um, his imprint on the club. And what I mean by that is, you know, the way that he played back in the day for Brisbane was vicious. You know, he was an absolute killer in the midfield and he was relentless and, you know, his pursuit of the football was undeniable. And at the moment, Carlton isn't playing that way. And, you know, I think, you know, Vossi probably needs to come in and, be that real firm, like, coach. And if he needs to say, boys, put your mouth guards in, we're smashing each other at training to sort of try and build that culture within the team, I think that's what needs to happen. But I think for what Carlton has been through, especially from a coaching perspective for so long, the club does need consistency. And I'm of the opinion that it's not always the coach that goes first. Mm. I always believe that lists can be built, uh, be built better um, to better suit the game style and the game plan um, that the coach is trying to implement. And, you know, Dank sort of touched around the NBA before, and that's evident in the NBA as well, that, you know, the coaches always go first, but we also see that when a rosters are built around the coach's strengths, what the possibilities are for that team as well. All right. It's the great man's time to shine. Have at it, mate, and we'll just sit back and enjoy the show, as Anthony Hudson once said. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to start off with something sort of a bit lighthearted. 
you know, last time there was a goalless first quarter in a game between Carlton and the Western Bulldogs. It was 1995. I'm just saying our last flag. So it it is a sign. But um, look, this club always seems to leave me with more questions than answers. It's as simply as put than that. Um, And, you know, I, I talked last week about how, you know, missing finals is not even a possibility in my eyes because with just how crippling it would be for the club and how and, and the deeply ingrained losing culture. Um, so I'm not going to talk too much about that because I touched on it last week. So I, I do hope it's really the opposite of last year where we're just slowly building and not peaking too early. But like I said, it leaves me with questions about where this has all gone wrong. Um, we're a shambles, both on and off the field. The players seem to have no spark, you know, with their aggression and attack on the footy, you know, innovation with their ball movement. is just becoming really, really boring to watch. And it's really hard to tell whether this is the fault of the coaching department who are just clueless or the playing group who are just brain dead. Um, but despite all this, um, you know, the, the media can be critical all they want about our team and how we played and how shocking the year has been so far and all that. The thing that sort of gets to me is, um, and kind of putting this on you a bit, Calm too, is the, the speculation around Voss's future. So, look, to me, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, assuming we make finals or it's too early to tell, but even, even at this point, I think it's ridiculous to sack Voss for for numerous reasons. Number one, last year, albeit being a massive failure from missing finals, it was a failure. Let's not shy away from it. It was our best season in over a decade or about a decade. The way that we played was a, a big improvement from the year before. So, you know, assuming you're not taking this year, this is an outlier. Voss's tenure has has been relatively successful for the most part. And so far this year, it's only been, what, eight, nine rounds. We haven't even got to the buy. So you can't really sack him not only off two years or one and a half years, but off a, a poor sort of month, two months. The other thing is, like I mentioned, you can't keep sacking coaches every two years. That's all these players have ever known. Ten coaches since the year 2000 and five coaches since 2015. The one thing that has remained the same since then is the playing group. So it's about time that the, the players on the field and the leaders – Patrick Cripps, Jacob Wiedering, Harry Mackay. I'm looking at you. Take some accountability. Um, and, you know, even if we were to sack Voss, who is there available on the market? Nathan Buckley. You know, it doesn't look like he's interested in coaching. And even if he was, I doubt it would be Carlton of all clubs. And even if, you know, Adam Simpson or someone was sacked or any coach in general, why would they want to come to Carlton? a club who has historically sacked coaches every two years. You've got a, a, a fan base, which is extremely passionate and ex, and wants urgent results. You've got everyone who is just really under tension and you would be the coach in your first season under the most pressure out of pretty much anyone in the AFL. So it's unattractive for any coach to coach Carlton. And in general, it would be a bad move coaching aside. So I think we're in a really bad spot. I think it's easily fixable. I think Voss stays and he has to stay because there are just no options and it would be the wrong move. 
And yeah, we we better find a way out of this quickly. And that's uh, my rant for this week. By the way, I never actually said to sack the bloke. I was just poising <laughs> the question to Nathan. So um, if it did anything to fire you up, I'm going to happily cop that because uh, I enjoy Ash's Carlton rant once a week. So it makes me feel very good on a Tuesday night. Um, Boys, it is time to get into our AFL fantasy segment. So uh, I feel like it was a very interesting week. You either did really well or not so well. And I don't really know where I sit. I feel like I'm pretty low in the scheme of things. So I got 2102 uh, for round nine, and um, I had the C on Clayton Oliver this week, who finished up with 252. So it's not too bad. Um, but I had Cade Chandler on my field with the 41. So I wasn't too happy about that. And Chin Cotter with a 22. Oh my God. Uh, just to add to Carlson's woes, um, the, sc- the fantasy scoring's not there for us. And uh, someone who disappointed me this week was Jack Sinclair with the 72. Um, yeah, I was probably expecting a little bit better from one of my premium defenders. But, um, look, I feel like my team's actually going all right. And those mid-prices in Warple and Callahan, I've still got those guys in my team, even though I plan to get rid of them like a month ago. Just haven't been able to do it. So I feel like one thing that we are lacking this year is a, a seriously, like a good amount of rookies. Um, I don't feel like there's been as many rookies this year as there has been in the past. And, you know, Samson Ryan's done admirably well as my reserve Ruckman. He got a 72 on the weekend. I actually think he looks all right as a player. Luke Pedler's been a good pickup in terms of um, – a emergency in the forward half. He got an 80 on the weekend. Um, but Bailey Humphrey, after giving me a donut two weeks ago, which I wasn't very happy about, uh, he responded with a 94. Um, so at the moment, I'm probably looking to get rid of those mid prices. I think it's probably time for Kay Chandler and um, Philippu to, to go. Um, I did do a double downgrade last week, so I'm probably looking at doing one upgrade, one downgrade, and then banking a little bit of cash um, before the buy. So that was my fantasy for the week. Nathan, how'd you go? Uh, yeah, I had a good week. So I had a 21-37. Um, probably a little bit disappointing with my captain. So I had the captain on uh, Rory Laird and he was – Tracking quite well until he got subbed out um, in the fourth quarter of the game. He took a bit of a knock, nothing serious, but it was a game's over. We got a big one next week. Let's rest up. So that was a little bit disappointing and probably lost, you know, in the range of 30 to 50 points, which sucked. But, you know, that's life. Um, I think the same as you, Callum, um, and adding to Ash's pain, Chin Cotter was pretty disappointing. And hopefully that means that he doesn't lose his spot. Um, that would be probably, you know, disappointing from a fantasy perspective. Um, the, the, the form of Connor Rosie from a fantasy perspective is always really, really interesting, you know. It doesn't always correlate fantasy to, you know, actual output um, as well. But, you know, he, he had a bit of a down game with only 79 and, you know, the sort of the player that he can be from a fantasy perspective was probably, you know, unders by about 20 points. But, you know, again, we expect him to bounce back on Friday night in a, you know, a game at home uh, at the Adelaide Oval. And I mentioned him before, but, my God, Errol Gordon, um, 
I think he's got to the point now where he's treading it like Oski. He's bringing his own footy to the great game. Yeah, 39 again. And I'm a, I might even put the VC on him this week and, uh, you know, hope that he goes nuts this week. But um, from a trade perspective, I'm probably going to look to do the one up and one down. Um, who I go down to and who I go up to, I'm not too sure yet. It's going to be heavily dependent on the um, team selections on Thursday. But I'm really looking to try and, you know, do a one up and one down this week and uh, a double downgrade probably next week leading into the buy. So I've got plenty of money and flexibility with the uh, the uh, three trades throughout the uh, before buy rounds. So see if I can try and set myself up for the back end of the season. Lovely, mate. Well, you did better than me, so good on you for once. Uh, Ash, how'd you go, mate? Um, I had a 2086, which is pretty terrible. At least and, um, I didn't come last this week. I'm very happy about that. I started like a house on fire and then it's all turned to shit from that. Um, but the thing is I, I've just started memeing, I guess, and trying to bring in as many Carlton players as possible. So last week I brought in Adam Chera. This week I'm bringing in Sam Walsh. So um, you've, you've really given up on fantasy, haven't you? <laughs> earlier than most years. Um. So, yeah, like I said, bring him Sam Walsh. I agree with what you said, Callum, about the lack of rookies this year. This week it sort of seems like you got Kane Baldwin or Harry Sharp, neither of which is sort of overly enticing options. I've decided to bring Baldwin and Walsh just because I like Baldwin's fixture a little bit better and it suits my vice structure. Um, my outs are Cosby Pickett, who has been terrible, and I was going to get him out about a month ago but I noticed he had a very juicy fixture. I think Melbourne was playing some, you know, really bottom sides and Cosby Pickett just did not capitalise on that whatsoever. Liam Baker, the other one I'm trading out, Jaden Short completely killed his role. Like I mentioned, I brought in both of them a couple of weeks ago just so I knew that I would have at least one of them no matter who scored well. That experiment is over. I know that Short's definitely the one to keep, so Baker comes out. So it's two high-end mid-prices for a rookie and a premium, giving me just over 200K for next week, and we'll see how we go there. Boys, it is Sir uh, Doug Nichols' Indigenous round this week, which is really exciting, and uh, we thought we'd end the show on something really positive. Uh, Boys, what Indigenous jumper do we like the most? Nathan. Um, I actually really like Melbourne's. Um, Melbourne have always done a really, really good job with their Indigenous jerseys, um, and I think they've done the same this year. Um, and in particular, I quite like the fact that they featured Ed Langdon as well, wearing his long sleeves. They they made sure that the Indigenous artwork went down the long sleeves as well, which I thought was quite considerate for those that do wear the, the long sleeves. So, yeah, I'm actually quite impressed with theirs. And, you know, NAM, as they're, I guess, officially known as um, for this round as well. So, yeah. And Ash, which one do you like, mate? Uh, I reckon Hawks, a team who I do not rate their normal guarantees whatsoever because they resemble the colour of urine and feces. But what they have been able to <laughs> incorporate in the style of the Hawk, I think it's very nice. I always like when teams with their Indigenous jumpers sort of keep <laughs> Stop laughing, guys, and making me laugh. Um, I, I, I always like when teams um, use kind of their, their normal jumper and sort of restyle 
I can't even get my words out. But you know how <laughs> how, how like um, Carlton, for example, keeps their monogram but sort of does the design around it, um, whereas the opposite to that is sort of a team like Geelong, for example, who don't keep their stripes but sort of make it most of their design. And I know this is coming out as a bunch of jumble right now, but forget it. Let's move on. I like Hawthorns. <laughs> Mate, you, you've just stumped me there. So that that's uh, that's quite funny. Um, anyway, so I probably like Geelong's the most. Uh, I feel like the darker background with the white um, really helps it to stand out. Um, what was the other one that really really stood out to me? Um, Richmond's. I thought Richmond's was actually pretty good. I think they're mm. going with the yellow base this year. Uh, and more of a, a red sash to represent the Indigenous flag. So, um, yeah, and the Port Adelaide one, I do I do quite like that one as well, um, designed by Peter Burgoyne. So, uh, yeah, it, Indigenous Round is a, a great way to show the culture of all the different players in the league and, um, you know, it's a great way for the clubs to, uh, to make some money for sure when they get auction off. But, boys... Uh, that brings close uh, the show tonight, and uh, it's great to chat with you boys. Nath, Ash, Jake, thank you so much for joining me once again. Thank you so much to those of you who are tuning in at home. Make sure that you go and follow the Mojo Sports AFL page on Instagram and stay tuned for the Thursday night shows, which are starting this week. Take care, everyone. Cheers.